You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Fishing for Zimbra credentials, Playcrypt ransomware is described. The Cuba ransomware group adopts new tools, hashtag no filter. Cyber criminals threaten security researchers. Our guest is Kevin Page from Uptix with thoughts on the Black Hat Conference. Eric Goldstein, executive assistant director at CISA, joins us discussing next steps on the Secure by Design journey. And Russian disinformation takes on Anglo-Saxonia. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Friday, August 18th, 2023. ESET is tracking a major phishing campaign that's targeting Zimbra account credentials. Most of the targets are located in Poland, Italy, and Ecuador— but the attackers don't seem to be focused on any particular sector. The campaign has been running since at least April 2023, targeting a variety of small and medium businesses and governmental entities. The phishing emails are tailored to each targeted organization and inform users that they need to log in to Zimbra to resolve an issue. The researchers note, On several occasions, we observed subsequent waves of phishing emails sent from Zimbra accounts of previously targeted legitimate companies. It is likely that the attackers were able to compromise the victim's administrator accounts and created new mailboxes that were then used to send phishing emails to other targets. Researchers at AdLumen outline a concentrated global campaign involving the Play ransomware, also known as PlayCrypt, The campaign is targeting managed service providers used by mid-market enterprises in the finance, software, legal, and shipping and logistics industries, as well as state, local, tribal, and territorial entities in the U.S., Australia, the U.K., and Italy. The threat actors usually gain initial access by abusing remote monitoring and management software. The researchers state, PlayCrypt ransomware's code is highly obfuscated, and shows strong resistance to typical analysis techniques. 
Notably, this ransomware group is the first to employ intermittent encryption, a technique that partially encrypts files in chunks to evade detection. BlackBerry has published an analysis of new tools used by the Cuba ransomware gang. The threat actor conducted attacks in June 2023 against a critical infrastructure organization in the U.S. and an IT integrator in Latin America. BlackBerry says the gang deployed a set of malicious tools that overlapped with previous campaigns associated with this attacker, as well as introducing new ones, including the first observed use of an exploit for the Veeam vulnerability, CVE 2023-27532. It's also worth noting that despite the gang's Cuban branding, the threat actors appear to be based in Russia— The group seems to be a privateer, making its money by hitting Western Anglophone democratic targets, that is, targets in countries Russia has framed as adversaries. Deep Instinct describes a privilege escalation technique that abuses the Windows filtering platform. The researchers built a tool for mapping remote procedure calls, which allowed them to find ways to manipulate benign services to perform malicious actions such as code injection or file encryption. The researchers explain, all the RPC servers on the system were mapped and methods were marked if the parameters that will be sent to the Win API are controlled by the RPC client. The Win API could be called directly by the RPC method or after several internal calls. RPC methods were also marked if specific keywords appeared in their name. Deep Instinct found that access token duplication can be performed in the kernel using WFP, which makes the attack extremely stealthy. The Financial Times reports on a trend. Cyber threat actors, both criminal and state-directed, menacing security researchers and journalists who've drawn attention to the group's activities. The threats come from both criminals and state agencies, but criminal threats, which often extend to researchers' families— seem to be much more common. Mandiant's CTO Charles Carmichael told Financial Times, These are young folks, teenagers, folks in their 20s that aren't employees of companies that are tasked with hacking, nor are they members of military or intelligence organizations. It's a bunch of folks with no rules of engagement. They have an unlimited amount of free time. They really push the envelope. They bring a lot of pain to individuals and make it feel very real. It can be more than simple harassment. Some of the crooks have engaged in swatting, a particularly malign action in which they spoof a call to police, reporting, falsely, that an active shooter is holed up at their victim's address. The criminals hope the police will respond to the bogus emergency with a SWAT team, which necessarily brings with it fear, humiliation, and the real possibility of misapplied deadly force. There are, however, occasions in which governments, especially the Russian government, have been involved in the menacing. German authorities are, for example, investigating the apparent poisoning of a dissident Russian journalist in Munich last autumn. The Guardian reports that the victim was at the time a reporter for the now-closed Novaya Gazeta. Her coverage of the special military operation was unwelcome in Moscow. According to The Telegraph, Russian military and diplomatic sources amplified by state-controlled media say that Britain's MI6 has assembled a team of Ukrainian Nazis and dispatched them, 
possibly aboard a grain ship now transiting the Black Sea to kill Africans sympathetic to Russia. The sources said the goal of the Ukrainian unit that has been trained by British intelligence is to carry out acts of sabotage on key infrastructure in Africa and assassinate the African leaders who favor cooperation with Russia. The story of Ukrainian Nazi hit squads dispatched by MI6 to trouble African dreams of national self-realization is implausible, to say the least, but it's consistent with Russian propagandists' increasing attempts to frame Russia's war as a purely defensive operation, with the aggression all coming from Anglo-Saxonia, that is, from the Americans and the British. London and Washington, Russian pundits argue, have been at war with Moscow continuously since 1945. It's all a continuation of the Great Patriotic War, which increasingly sounds as if the British and the Americans were on the side of the Axis. And now they're using Ukrainian Nazis, slaves, zombies, take your pick as the terms are slung around freely and interchangeably, to prosecute a war against Russia, which stands alone as a bulwark of civilization against the soulless leaders of Anglo-Saxonia. Or, actually, they're not entirely alone. Pyongyang's dear-respected Marshal Kim, outstanding leader of the Juche Revolution and the only and unique successor and leader of that Juche Revolution, the peerlessly great man lettered in basketball at his high school in Switzerland, and so on, has pronounced North Korea's firm solidarity with the cause of Russia. The pundits on Russian state TV have been pleased to point that out because, well, you've got to have some kind of angle. It's not as if this time around the Royal Navy is convoying shiploads of American Lend-Lease keep the Red Army in the field. Maybe they can truck some ammo over the border from North Korea instead. Coming up after the break, our guest Kevin Page from Uptix has thoughts on the Black Hat Conference. Eric Goldstein, Executive Assistant Director at CISA, joins us to discuss next steps on the Secure by Design journey. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. (laughs) 
The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Folks have had a few days now to settle in and recover from Black Hat and DEFCON, Hacker Summer Camp, as it's sometimes called. I checked in with Kevin Page, CISO of security firm Uptix, for his take on this year's festivities in Las Vegas. I think that the tone and the content was pretty interesting. I think that I'm seeing Black Hat be very much like RSA. I mean, it almost felt like I was at RSA at Black Hat this year. So, you know, the tone was really focused on, I think, uh, a lot of smaller companies getting more mature in their capabilities, which was great, great to see. It was great to see some of these companies, you know, really taking a look at consolidation. I think that was good. And I think there's also a little bit of sadness. I, there was a lot of security professionals that happen to be out of work right now. So there was a lot of people looking for work and a lot of people looking for great people that were available on the market. So that was also also an interesting tone and lots of interesting conversations about both of those topics. You know, like, you know, what's going on in the security world? Like, why are companies letting go of security team members when our threats are not going down and vulnerabilities aren't getting less? So why would companies start to lay off some of, some of their security people? And lots of talk about, I think, consolidation as well. So lots of talks about like, hey, you know, I have a 20-person security team and I have 32 security products. Like, what, what can we do to make this better and more efficient in the long term? So, so from a theme perspective, I definitely felt a lot of those types of capabilities that were going on at, uh, at, uh, at Black Hat this year. It was definitely feeling a lot like RSA. So very, very corporate, which is I've been coming to Black Hat for a long, long, long time. And this was probably the first year that I felt like Am I? At, I had to wonder, am I at RSA or am I at Black Hat? And then I would walk downstairs and be like, oh, I'm definitely Black Hat. This is Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, is, is, is that shift a, a good thing, a, a bad thing? Is it an inevitable thing? Like As someone who's, who's been attending these for a long time, do, how do you feel about that? I feel it's an, an inevitable thing, I think, you know, because people, you know, uh, I think corporate wants to, wants to have their kind of corporate events, you know, with people all across security from venture capitalists to cybersecurity startups to enterprise security companies. The ability to bring those together in events, I think, is great. I think RSA is much smaller venues, much smaller capabilities. And I think that Black Hat's maybe a little bit more centrally located than San Francisco, even if there are a lot of uh, startups and, and, and uh, venture capital that are focused on, on security uh, in the Bay Area. This kind of more corporate move to Black Hat, you know, you kind of saw it coming over the years, um, you know, as Black Hat got more corporate and DEF CON got, you know, a, a little bit, you know, less corporate, but still a lot more corporate than it used to be. I think it's kind of inevitable. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, with RSA and Black Hat in the future, because people aren't going to want to go to two conferences that are the exact same thing. So, mm. so we'll see what happens in the future. You know, as someone who's in a leadership position, as, as CISO at, at Uptix, as, as you are, how do you plan out your time to make the you know the maximum use of the the amount of time you have there at a conference like this? So yeah, I focus on a couple of different things. 
First thing I focus on is uh, meeting up with people I've worked with in the past, other CISOs, making sure that we're getting great collaboration and you know passing stories along, helping each other out. So, so for me, my first priority is is making sure that that's happening. So that's my 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 main priority when I'm going to these events. Um, it just kind of at my stage, uh, I haven't gone to these for a long time and, you know, made a lot of friends, you know, at place, other places that I've worked and also just, uh, you know, coming to this event. So that, that's probably priority number one. Priority number two is, you know, I like to think of myself as, as a, you know, kind of a innovative security executive, I'm always looking for something that's modern, something that's helping solve a problem that I have today, something that's associated with my roadmap. So I'm looking at lots of the cybersecurity companies, not just in the vendor hall, but the ones that are around the vendor hall, right? There's a lot of uh, young, innovative companies that are not paying for a, a, a booth inside of the, the venue. So, you know, I'm definitely having lots of conversations with, uh, with startups around the venue as well, you know, kind of looking for, you know, more efficient, more operationally efficient ways to help me solve some of the problems that I have um, is, uh, is, is, a, is a key priority. And then key priority number three is definitely meeting with everybody, um, you know, venture capital, you know, other larger security company vendors, and just trying to stay in the loop and hopefully ahead of the curve on, on a lot of the different types of security issues that lots of people see coming, lots of innovative ways to solve problems that we see coming. You know, that's kind of, I think, a big, a big, uh, a big, a big focus area. So those are, those, are, those are my three things that I focus on when I come to these, these types of events to, you know, spend my time on. And, you know, this week when you're back home and you got some time to reflect on the information that you've gathered, what what is this week like for you? Is it, do you spend a lot of time reflecting on it? I do spend a lot of time reflecting. It's probably one of the, the key things is that once you've kind of, uh, you know, dealt with the, the glamour of Vegas and dealt with, you know, all of the, you know, tens of thousands of people that you've, that you've interfaced with, you know, throughout the week, you know, now it's time to figure out, you know, like what's, what's really going on, you know, what was the most valuable use of my time when I was there? What did I get out of it? And, you know, how can I make sure that we can use and learn from the information that I learned from others, whether it was the, whether it was my friends, other CISOs, venture capital, some of the other enterprise security vendors, where's the trend? What are people doing? Why are they going there? You know, very, very, very interesting to be able to do that and then see what we can do to be able to help optics, see what I can do to help, you know, um, some of the other more junior security people in the industry that I mentor, you know, where, where can we use this information to help, help security as a whole and myself continue to uh, move forward. Was there anything unexpected or surprising? Did you have any aha moments while you were there that you didn't call for? I didn't have a ton of aha moments this year. Definitely one of the aha moments was the discussion about many of the really good security professionals that are out of work right now. So that was, you know, maybe not directly tied to it, but because we had so many security leaders and executives together having conversations, I think that was something that came out and it was definitely a moment of saying like, hey, why, why, why is this happening? Probably the other one is, Lots of discussions about tool consolidations, like lots of people saying, you know, talking to vendors or, or talking to another vendor and we're having conversations saying like, I, I can't, like, I can't have another tool in my tool belt. You know, like I, I have too many and I'm not using them all effectively. Like I have too many tools. So 
lots of discussions around too many tools in security for security teams to be able to handle effectively. So I think from an aha moment, I, I just, you know, I've heard, you know, bits and pieces of those uh, at other times, but those two were two, my two kind of aha moments. Like, wow, like there is like every place I go, we're talking about these two topics. And I found it uh, very interesting that it was such a that those topics were were everywhere. I, I don't think I had a conversation in the three days I was at Black Hat that didn't touch on those two topics. That's Kevin Page, Chief Information Security Officer at Uptix. And it is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show, Eric Goldstein. He is Executive Assistant Director at CISA. Uh, Eric, great to have you back. I want to touch base today on this whole notion of secure by design, uh, which I know is a focus of you and your colleagues there at CISA. Where do we stand and where are we going with this? Thanks so much, David. It's always a pleasure to be on. Uh, just to catch listeners up, uh, you know, Secure by Design really is a concept that's now been codified in the National Cybersecurity Strategy. The idea being that the burden of cybersecurity really has to rest with those who are most able to bear it, uh, which in many cases is actually not the individual enterprises uh, who are being victimized by cyber intrusions, but is actually the manufacturers of the products that every enterprise is relying upon and that we know are exploited at scale by nation states and by criminal groups. And so our goal with Secure by Design is to work with the technology community uh, and with with partners uh, across the world to really define what are the attributes of a safe and secure technology product, and then really drive change across the ecosystem so that technology companies make needed investments to ensure that their products are fit for purpose wherever they're deployed. In in April of this year, we released uh, our first white paper on this topic uh, with six other countries uh, from around the world. We released it at the RSA conference. And the goal of that was to really be a first chapter uh, in this conversation to say, here are the principles that we think underpin a secure by design culture, principles like technology companies taking accountability for the security outcomes of their customers, technology companies showing radical transparency uh, in their security programs and gaps therein, and then some really specific areas for future investment, areas like ensuring that we are making progress towards memory-safe coding languages or making sure that multi-factor authentication is turned on as a default feature, not a, um, an additional expense that you have to enable and pay for yourself. Over the past few months, we've been getting feedback uh, from companies uh, across sectors, a lot of the country's largest tech companies, as well as startups and innovators in the space, as well as other international partners. And we're now really excited to be working on our next iteration uh, of this work, which is going to get a bit more specific to say, well, now that we understand generally what are the characteristics of a safe and secure technology product, how can we actually show it? What are the artifacts? Um, uh, you know, how do we show our work to actually demonstrate that we're making progress towards this goal? And we're, we're really excited to get a bit more specific and applied in making progress towards this goal. Can you share with us uh, any of the things that we might see as we're looking towards the future here? 
Absolutely. You know, I think the next thing that we're really going to see is some, some work by CISA and our international partners. And I'll note that we have many more international partners uh, who we expect to be signing on to our next products, even than the first one. Um, but we're going to be seeing some examples of expectations uh, that we should be setting uh, of technology manufacturers uh, who are deploying their products across sectors. Uh, one example is, of course, we spent a lot of time in our first product talking about the challenges of memory unsafe coding languages. You know, I'll just note for the listeners, uh, many might have seen um, a recent document uh, uh, from our partners at MITRE about the most common uh, CWEs uh, that were released this year. Well, the majority of those are actually the result of memory safety vulnerabilities or the use of memory unsafe coding languages. Um, And we did some mapping. And what we were able to show is not only are those the most common CWEs, but they also reflect back to the most known exploited vulnerabilities that were identified by CISA as being widely exploited by adversaries. So what does this Mm. mean in practice? It means that not only do we know that the use of memory unsafe coding languages like C and C++ leads to more vulnerabilities, but those are the vulnerabilities that adversaries are exploiting to cause harm. So what do we do about that, right? That That is a major challenge that takes real investment to address both for new products, for new code bases, and legacy. So what we're saying is, well, let's encourage tech manufacturers to at least have a roadmap to say, we understand the risk. We are going to publish CWEs for all of our vulnerabilities to be transparent about the extent to which our vulnerabilities are deriving from this problem. And we have a roadmap to make progress that we're going to publish and hold ourselves accountable to. At the end of the day, there is no silver bullet here. It's really about driving accountability over the long term. And what sort of feedback are you getting here? I mean, it strikes me that, um, you know, CISA, one of the one of the main uh, abilities you have is influence. You know, you, you don't necessarily have regulatory oversight or power, but you do have a voice here. Uh, what's the feedback you're getting? That's exactly right. You know, one of the most exciting aspects of this work is we have spoken to security and business leaders at major tech manufacturers. We have spoken to security leaders and business leaders at major enterprises. And there is consensus across the board that we as a country, we as a society, we as an economy need technology that is safe and secure by design and default. The question is, what does that mean and how do we get there? And so the work we have to do now is leveraging, for example, the great work that NIST has done in their secure software uh, development framework, the SSDF, be really clear about what are the most important steps that can be taken to develop a product that is reasonably secure by design. And then even in the absence of any new regulation, in the absence of any new shift in liability, let's drive consensus around enterprises who are purchasing these technologies, including the federal government, about what do we expect. And there's consensus around that direction, the steps to take, now we just need to get specific about what it means in practice. All right. Well, Eric Goldstein is Executive Assistant Director at CISA. Eric, always a pleasure having you on. Thanks so much, Dave. And I'll just note if folks want to learn more, they can go to cisa.gov slash securebydesign. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Dmitry Bestijev from BlackBerry. We're discussing their work, Romcom Resurfaces, targeting politicians in Ukraine and U.S.-based healthcare providing aid to refugees from Ukraine. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. 
SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 